Well, you who are here this morning will be truly blessed as I finish chapter 5 today. (laughs) I don't know if that's an encouragement or not. (laughs) I ain't saying nothing. I taught eight or nine messages on the priorities of a woman and I'm still alive. We are concluding chapter 5 of the letter to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. Please follow in the reading of the word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Father, you know how I have struggled. So, Father, I ask that I get out of the way and that you... Well, share with my friends, my family, my loved ones, my brothers and sisters in eternity, the massiveness of this text. Father, help us to understand in Christ is the unity of the body, the unity of your church, the unity of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to understand, help us to stand in the grace and peace that God, you have given us in this letter. In Christ's precious name, amen. All right, here we go. (laughs) My poor little pea brain. We are looking at a book. The book of Ephesians is the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul starts this book off with grace and peace to you. You ever thought, uh, you know, when we greet somebody, what do we say? Hey, how you doing? Hello, what's up? Something like that. You know, all the ways that we greet each other. What up? (laughs) But uh, Paul greets with grace and peace. Unmerited favor and absolute rest to you. That's a pretty good greeting if you think about it. I mean, grace and peace to you. Instead of, Yo! (laughs) Okay, unmerited favor, absolute rest. Hmm. 
But let me go through these first three chapters quickly. I want you to hear some things before I conclude chapter 5. Okay, this is all in the first three chapters. We are chosen before the foundations of the world. The purpose is to be holy and blameless because we have been adopted into the family of God. In Him, we have redemption. In Him, we have forgiveness. In Him, we have the riches of His grace. In Him, they have been lavished on every believer in Jesus Christ. He has given us all wisdom and insight. We are lacking nothing. We who are in Him have been made known the mystery of His will. In Him we have already obtained an eternal inheritance. In Him, hearing the gospel of salvation, having believed, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Him, He is the head over all things to the church. We, each and every one of us, were dead in our trespass and sin. We walked as this world. And we formerly lived in the lust of this world. We were children of wrath. We were dead. But we were made alive in Him. We are raised up with Him. He has sealed us with Him in the heavenlies. Past tense. In Christ Jesus, we will show in the ages to come the surpassing riches of His grace. How you feeling? We have the kindness in Him toward each and every believer in Jesus Christ. In Him, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Christ. That's what you and I are as believers. Did you know that? We were formerly far off, separated, a gulf that could never be measured nor crossed. Separated. But we were brought near by the blood of Christ. Now He is our peace. He broke down the barriers. Brothers and sisters, you cannot understand historically the barrier that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. I have studied this in depth and it is amazing. Absolutely amazing the difference. The Jews wanted absolutely nothing to do with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles thought the Jews were nuts. And that's how they existed. That's how they existed. There was an ingrained hatred 
that is second to none that I've ever studied. And yet in him, the two were made one. We were reconciled. We were reconciled with Jews into one body. That is same today. It's same today. There is no personal identification. We are in Him. One body through the cross, the sacred blood of Jesus Christ poured on the altar of sacrifice for each and every believer. Through Him, every believer in Jesus Christ, we have our access, Jew or Gentile, to one Spirit, to one Father. We are no longer strangers. We are fellow citizens of heaven. We are all saints. We are being built a dwelling of God in the Spirit of God. This mystery, this oneness, this uniqueness, this indivisible unbreakableness was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And now we read and we understand the mystery of Christ. Listen, it is not your pastor. It is not the elders. It is not the deacons. It's not the Sunday school teachers. It is the person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ now understands the mystery of Christ. But you know what? This wasn't known in the past. But now... Through the apostles and prophets, we are fellow members of the body. Listen, do you understand what I'm just giving you right now? Is in the first three chapters of this letter. And you wonder why I get frustrated that there's not unity? Because the people don't know these things. In the ages past, it's been hidden. We are partakers of the promises of Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ. The manifold wisdom might now be made known through the church. Now listen, how massive is this wisdom? It has now been revealed to the church and we make it known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You know what he just said? What we know, the angels didn't know. And because of us, the angels now know. So Paul says, we have a boldness. We have a confidence. We have access through faith in Christ. And we don't lose heart. Now, the Apostle Paul, back in chapter 1, verse 17, I will read this to you because I, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a brother in Christ, realize 
that I can share all of this with you and you can smile at me and just uh, God bless him, pat my little head and put me on my little way. And so I know that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, of revelations in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling, the glory of the inheritance of the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Paul's prayer. That's Paul's prayers to those who would read this letter the first time and those who would read this letter for all time. So in chapter 4, Paul says, I implore you, I beg you, I exhort you, I beseech you, walk worthy. Walk worthy of this calling. Radiate the person of Jesus Christ with every breath you take so that the world will say, how are they unified like that? I got in a discussion with some people who are non-believers who were trying to tell me about unity. And I chuckled me because I thought, man, I've been teaching on that for what, six years now. And I said, there's no unity in this world except for those who bow to the authority of Jesus Christ, period. Well, that's not true. I was like, well, tell me where then. And they said, well, there's got to be somewhere. And I said, there is in the cemetery. Absolute unity there. They couldn't answer it. They never even thought about it. They're blithering this stuff about unity. I was like, the only unity that man ever has is in the person of Christ. Period. We walk worthy. We are to walk in humility. That's a natural trait, isn't it? We are walking gentleness. Walking patience. Tolerating one another in love. Why? Because there's one body. There's one spirit. There's one Lord. How awesome is that? But see, you can never arrive at that until you understand the first three chapters. What you possess as a Christian. We don't walk in futility of mind anymore. I listen to stuff. If you turn on certain news channels, actually, if you turn on all the news channels, it's it's very frustrating. But you know what? Stop back away from it and look at it and say, that is futility of mind. I don't have that anymore. That is man thinking that he knows what's going on. And he's blind, naked, depraved children of wrath 
We are to be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to be what? Spirit-filled. Led by the Spirit of the living God. He makes my decisions. He directs my path. He makes my hand work. He got me a splinter in this one. There in chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You know what that means? One another. I'm subject to you. You're subject to me. Then we looked at the priorities of a wife. And this manner of submission that the wife says that every husband knows, verse 22, I have memorized Scripture. Wives are to be subject to their own husband. I am a memorizing fool. Verse 22a. And we looked at that. What is this manner of submission? Matter of submission. Then we looked at this manner of submission as Christ. As the church is submitted to Christ, the wife is to be submitted to her own husband. But we had a motive there in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Who is the protector and provider for the wife? I don't care what the world says. I'm telling you what God designed back in the garden. And the model was given to us at the end of verse 23 and verse 24. As the church is subject to Christ so also wives are to be subject to their husband in everything. Step one with unity defined. Then, we've been looking at the priorities of the husband. And we looked at there is a manner and a motive. In the manner, we've seen that the love that a husband is to have for his wife is sacrificial. Which means, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Whatever she needs is my passion, my desire, my motive. Interesting, huh? I just haven't gotten my wife to really be passionate about owning a Harley. If I can get that to work, we're going to be right on time. It's sacrificial. Christ gave himself for the church. How much? All. You know, I see guys says, well, yeah, I'd die for my wife. Why won't you live for? Second thing there is the husband being that it's sacrificial. His love is also purifying. He purifies her. By washing of the word. You know what that means? You know, I listen to everybody and a guy says, well, you know, all get my hermeneutics down and my exegetics down and I'll get all these other things down and I'll set her down and explain it to her. You know what? If you want to explain the Word of God to your wife, 
Live it. Live it. You know, you, men can say, well, I make the decisions in the house. Do you explain to her why, to the glory of God, these are the decisions they're making? Yowzer. It's a caring love. It's a caring love. 28 to 30. Love your wife as you love your own body. Now, my wife would prefer that I would love her a little more than the way I love my body. I had to do a bunch of doctor stuff this week. And by the end of the week, she says, yeah, you ain't loving your body. <laughs> Don't count me in on that one. I am always reminded why they are practicing physicians. So I give blood twice in one week, and they said, well, you need to give us some blood. Then I'll be anemic. <laughs> no, go read the other ones. It ain't changed in a week. But there's a caring love. Because as Christ cares for the church because it's His body, we are to care for our wives as Christ cares for the church. When does the Christ not take care of the church? When does Christ not strengthen the church? See what I mean? Even when the church is idiots, read the seven churches of Asia Minor, five of them, you're like, those are churches? He still cared for them. If he didn't care for them, he wouldn't send them a letter and says, hey, I'm watching. And last week I looked at it, it's unbreakable. It's unbreakable. The love between a husband and wife is unbreakable. You know, and it says, well, the Bible teaches us on divorce. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that Moses granted a letter of divorce was your hard hearts. Your hard hearts. I want to ask you a simple question. How many times does Christ divorce the church when she acts stupid? Never. Never does. Okay, now then, one last thing I was reminded of. There is a reason that a person is not bound by a marriage in the case of abandonment. If that person is left, then they are not bound by that marriage, and God will not punish the faithful one by the acts of the unfaithful one. Okay? Now, you will ask yourself a few questions on how in the heck has this got to do with unity? Well, the husband and the wife, I find it fascinating. This is how amazing Paul is filled with the Spirit. He understood that the foundation of society is the husband and wife. If they are unified, then the society is Unified. You look throughout history when Satan wanted to destroy a society. How did he do it? He attacked the family, the husband and wife. I can go back through all of history and show you it over and over and over. What is the attack that is going on in our society right now? Husband and wife. 
husband and wife. I was talking to a friend years ago, and he says, you know, it is easier to get out of a marriage in Colorado than it is a car lease. And I said, yeah, you're right. I said, but in Colorado, if you want to get married, you can take your vows in front of a microwave. It don't matter. Where's the attack? That relationship between a man and a woman that reflects Christ and His his church. That is where the war is. If there is unity in that thing, the society thrives. Verses 32 and 33 is the motive. Why would I worry about this? This mystery is great. Why am I to love this way? Why is the woman to submit? Why am I to be spirit-filled? Why are we to walk worthy in humility? Because this is a great mystery. This is Christ and His church. That unity of that family is the unity that Christ has with the church. I had several conversations this week with people who have been through this congregation in centuries past and their lives have come crashing down around their ears there's divorce there's this there's that there other and i ask them what church they're in and they're not and so they asked me that they think i found a church we're wanting to move your membership i says you're not on the rolls of us anymore if you're not faithful to us in a year you're removed and, you know, we sent you a letter, but if you've moved a whole bunch of time and there's no stability in your life, I don't know where that letter went, but we never got it back. Okay? Why? The person I was speaking to, I said, do you understand that for a Christian to be outside of a church is punishment? If the person refuses to repent of something they've been called on, then you set them outside the church. Not only that, Paul told the church in Thessalonica, don't even associate, don't even eat with them. Wow. But look around in America today. So listen to an audio recording a couple of weeks ago at a church worshiping in Kabul, Afghanistan. August the 31st, they were singing praises, joyous hymns to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then you hear screaming, you hear gunfire, and the phone went dead. I was notified by the person who sent it to me. That was the death of the church in Kabul, Afghanistan. The church no longer exists in Kabul, Afghanistan. They assassinated all the believers. How will that affect the United States? This is a great mystery that God created Adam and Eve in union and the two became one flesh. It was passed on that a man will leave his mother and father and he will cleave to his wife 
why loving like this is important? Why men are to love this way in this priority? Why women are to submit to their husbands as unto Christ? Because the mystery is revealed. Remember what I told you? Paul prayed that we would understand this mystery. Paul told us in doctrine in the first three chapters that you will know the mystery of God's will. Why? Let me show you something. In Zechariah, Zechariah is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah is prophesying. Chapter 12, verse 10. Through Zechariah, God says, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And you would say, Amen. Then he says this. So that they will look on me, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. You know what that is? That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They will look upon me whom they pierced. Now remember, between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years. Zechariah is writing around roughly the same time of Malachi. And he's telling them that they will look upon me whom they pierced. You know what that is to you and me? That is the birth of the church. That is the birth of the church on the cross of Calvary. There'll be great mourning in Jerusalem. Okay? Now that's what the Jews would be looking at. Now what would they make sense of that? Knowing that 400 years later this is going to take place. Drop on over to chapter 14 of Malachi. Verse 4. In that day, okay, verse 1 says, of 14, A day is coming, the Lord will take the spoils given to you, and He'll divide it among you. Then drop down to verse 4. In that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that the half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of the mountains. The valley of the mountains will be reached to Israel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled the earthquake in the day of Uzzah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. You know what that one is? It's his return. That's when he stands on the Mount of Olives. Okay, so between chapter 12 and chapter 14, there's a few years. 
But this is a mystery that the Jews don't even get to this day. They don't understand it. One is they pierced him and they will mourn and they will weep. And he will return. He will stand on the Mount of Olives. They do not understand that to this day. They did not understand it in the time of Christ. They did not understand this. And the Apostle Paul says, The wisdom has been made known to me, the Apostle of the Gentiles. And guess what, Gentiles? You and I now know what Zechariah is speaking of. It is that age between the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which the beginning of the end started at Bethlehem. The birth of that baby. And we are cruising through it now until the bride is caught up to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Seven years will pass down here. You're talking about one serious wedding party. After the wedding feast of the Lamb, we shall return with Him. And He will stand on the Mount of Olives. It will split. And you will see Jesus Christ in all of His glory. So will the whole world. And he will set up the eternal kingdom in Jerusalem. They have never known this in the past. There was never an understanding. Remember what I showed you in the first three chapters of Ephesians? It has been made known to us. It has now been revealed. Remember what he said? This is a great mystery that you and I now know that marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. Okay? I'm going to wrap this up. I want you to think about it. The sacred church is wedded to the sacredness of marriage. When marriage is is attacked, what are they attacking? The church. Your marriage, you are either a symbol of Christ and His church or a denial of Christ and His church. See how great this mystery is? See how the unity of the body can only be done in the in Christ? Do you realize how high and lofty this thought is? Do you realize how high and lofty this information is? Because it is so sacred. The Apostle Paul sums it up with verse 33. It's an interesting phrase. Nevertheless, speaking of this mystery, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, 
even as himself. Why? Because this is so sacred. This relationship between a man and a woman and the covenant of marriage is so sacred. It is the same covenant that Christ has with his church. And I mean, you can say, hey, covenant can be broken by death. You're right. The covenant between Christ and the church was seeded by what? By a death. Whose death was it? His. You know what that means? The covenant can't be broken. Unless Christ dies again. No problem. This is an eternal covenant between Christ and His bride, His body, His church. Listen, if we would learn again what it is to be in Christ, we would understand because it says here, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Some of your translations will say, fear her husband. The word means reverence to. As in fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. Walking in the power of the Spirit. It's the only way, brothers, to make the marriage relationship the way God wants it to be. If husbands would do that, walk in the Spirit, walk worthy of their calling, do you talk about a change? Do you realize that that would remove all stress? Hmm. Approach your marriage or... When you marry, marry God's way. Because when that happens, that lets God pour out blessings so much that we would drown in it. I want to share some theology with you from one of the greatest men outside of the apostles theologians that I've ever written. There's a book called Calvin on Christian Life, Glorifying and Enjoying God Forever by a guy named Michael Horton. Most people look at the Reformers as these great ideologues that sit around on their white pillars spouting great thoughts. No, that's not true. You will live your life based on your theology. Okay? Or to put it in uh, hillbilly terms, you will live your life according to the size of your God. All right? And this is a quote out of that book. By Mr. Calvin. See, things that people don't understand, he started a seminary in Geneva. Still there. I mean, actually, at one point in time, uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted to buy it and move it to Virginia. (laughs) So, yeah, whatever. 
but he was known for his servant during the Black Plague in the 1500s. And this is what motivated him to touch these people, to talk with these people, to hug these people as they died. Quote, Because we truly feed on Christ in the supper, we are drawn both to purity and holiness of life and also to charity, peace, and concord with each other. We will take care that none of our brethren is hurt, despised, rejected, injured, or in any way offended without our, at the same time, hurting, despising, and injuring Christ. That we cannot love Christ without loving our brethren. That same care we take of our own body, we ought to take care of that our brethren, who are members of our body, that are as no part of our body suffers pain without extending to another part. So every evil which our brother suffers ought to excite our compassion. Grace leads to gratitude a thanksgiving toward God that turns us outward to our brothers and sisters, that we also out to our neighbors, whoever they may be, the one who wants to love God can do so by loving believers because God serves us. We can serve our neighbors. Unquote. See how big it is? This is a great mystery. This is a great reverence that we have for one another, for the relationship of marriage, and the relationship of our society. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you so much for this great mystery that you have given unto us. This mystery of Christ to his church, of husbands to wives, as brothers to sisters, as we care for one another in the midst of everything, set aside everything so that we may love one another as Christ loves his church. Thank you, Father that you have given us the ability to be subject to one another in our reverence of Christ. Thank you, Father, for what you do, that we may speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts, giving thanks for all things, making the most of our time when the days are evil. Thank you, Father, in Christ's precious name. Amen.